Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, mental, and child abuse in a church setting. Listener discretion is advised. What you're about to hear is a story of events that unfolded within a church. Events that define truth is stranger than fiction. Events that ultimately led to the escape of several families. These families are known as the Rebellion. At this point, things were moving slowly, especially on the security forefront. We were still not given the uh, the access for instant replay that they said they would reinstate. We didn't have a head of security assigned to the review roles or anything along those lines. At this point, Elmer was not the head of security. I went to a number of the leadership that had access to the playback. The assistant pastor said, I don't, I don't even have the password. The Sunday school director didn't really know how to do any of that. So I went to the pastor and asked him, hey, where are we with the security situation? There's no, we don't have a security director. The changes haven't been made. What do we do? So pastor, he said he was confused by the whole situation, didn't know what was going on. He was blindsided by Elmer leaving and he was just really just focused on the nursery. So he wanted to plan a meeting with me. So we planned a meeting. So the meeting came around and I went to pastor's house, sat in a living room uh, with him and we, we talked, we, uh, we talked about life, about my job and uh, about guns. We talked about just random things. And then we started getting into the meat of the conversation with, with the security team. Pastor took the reins first and said, here's my perspective and this is what I see everything as. And he went on for, you know, a good 30 minutes to an hour about his vision for the security team, that it was, we were the good guys with the guns to stop the bad guys with the guns at the church. And uh, he, uh, he went through the history of the, the security team's formation and reformation where there's this, someone saw a need for a security team to make sure no one gets hurt by like a mass shooter or what have you. So they decided to form a security team to shoot people, to shoot the bad guy. And then they introduced cameras into the mix a few years down the line and said, this is a great idea. That way we can have evidence or keep an eye on things while things get crazy. And a pastor did voice a concern with people's privacy, and he did not like that people had access to these cameras. One very specific example he gave, which was really oddly specific was that he was afraid that people, that men on the cameras would just be looking down women's blouses and uh, looking for things like people, like these guys on the cameras are just creeps. He emphasized that he was a simple person. He did not like to complicate things, especially functions in the church, Um, but he understands that a need to have things in place and in order. 
he wanted to ensure he emphasized wanting to ensure everyone's privacy and liberty he doesn't want people's lives being looked at all the time and i mean he went into great detail about all of this and the um Really, the one of the situations that kind of kicked off this whole privacy thing was years and years ago, um, a woman got dressed in a classroom that for a wedding or something that had a camera in it, and they were concerned that that was an invasion of her privacy. So he asked me my opinions on the matter, and I explained my thoughts on security best practices based off of my training, education, and experience because I have a degree in security. I have training in the security realm and I've worked in the security realm as well, especially with cameras, installing cameras, security operations, all that. Um, so I explained what the best practices are from my years of experience. So the one of the things that I emphasized was the need for our security team to remain professional and trustworthy. Trust was a huge factor that seemed to be uh, not only missing, but uh, taken away and revoked. Uh, with all these policy changes within the security team, the video access, it seemed that no one could trust anyone anymore. And uh, I, went, I went into detail about how the security world works and all of that and pastor just seemed very stuck and unwilling to move on that and he described that in detail one thing that he always will say was that he always he just saw the security guys as the layman with guns we weren't fbi cia secret service we weren't agents we were just laymen with guns and that's all he saw us as I left that meeting feeling a little conflicted. Um, Pastor made some points that I didn't agree with, and I really wanted to see the security team flourish with a place of responsibility, trust, and professionalism. But with all these, all of these restrictions, we couldn't grow and keep the place safe with how how we were limited in our operations. And especially with seeing how we were only seen as laymen with guns, we were just there to shoot people. Uh, it kind of it was discouraging because now at this point we didn't have the respect that we originally thought we had from leadership, and that really hurt our cause to be able to take this security team to where it needed to be. The pastor asked me what I want, what I thought needed to happen, especially going forward with. The, a new director or maybe no director. He didn't know exactly where the, the security team was going from here. I suggested we should get some of the key members of the security team, if not all of the security team together, to discuss how to move forward from here. So he asked me to set up a, a meeting with everyone and have him included and we can discuss where to go from here. So that's what I did. I scheduled a meeting with the whole security team. Almost every guy from the security team responded, said, yep, we're, we're available. So we set up that meeting. The third group meeting was scheduled. We were gathered in pastor's office once again with pastor, the deacons and their wives, and the Sunday school director, and the rebellion. 
This meeting was to discuss the revisions that were made to the policy and certain points that they wanted to address. So we started off and Pastor asked Romeo to pray. And at this point, we got started right away. We discussed points in the policy. And one of the deacons said, wow, you know, this is actually a really great revision. You guys did a good job on this. And at that moment, I felt a little proud seeing we had spent so much time on it. And it's like, oh, well, we finally gave them what they wanted. Like, that's that's really good. Because it was like, this is really well written and it's really it's what we wanted. I'm like, oh, that's great. So they got into some points of stuff they didn't like. And one of the things was there was a section in there about how if there's anything that's related to children being, you know, abused or neglected, that we need to call CPS. And Pastor had some really big concerns about this section of the policy. And he said, well, you know what I'm really concerned about? I'm concerned about godly parents spanking their children like the Bible tells them to getting CPS called on them, getting their lives ripped apart. So he kind of went on about how all children must be spanked because it's in the Bible that children must be spanked. And at one point he made the room all agree to, yes, we all agree in spanking, correct? And he, 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 all of us had to nod our head before he could continue. I did not nod my head for the record. Instead of nodding my head, I said, well pastured and obviously this this um, varies by state but in some states it's only spanking is only considered you know child abuse if it leaves bruises and I'm like well you know we're not gonna call CPS for like one little mark but if they're bruising their kids that's that is child abuse even if it is spanking and we had a little bit of a disagreement about that but he's like okay yeah you know maybe parents should be more careful nowadays you know, before their lives are ripped apart and their children are taken away from them for being godly parents and spanking their kids like the Bible tells them to. And he also went on at this point to say that, you know, we follow the Bible. We do not follow the law of man. And at this point, I'm just sitting there like, why can't we follow both within reason? But he had just described that the Bible says... That you have to spank your children and i completely disagree with this of course but apparently according to him i don't know what part of the bible he's pulling that out of but you have to spank your children or you're not being a godly parent at one point in the meeting pastor brought up a section in the policy that was written that was a snippet sta- stating that anyone that is involved in basically anything still has their constitutional rights to bring uh, things to civil or uh, criminal complaints and pastor and some of the deacons questioned why that was in there because it almost seemed like it was encouraging these parties to file suits and file criminal complaints um, but we we voiced our our reasoning for that being to recognize constitutional rights here in the United States that these people have to do that and they just were not happy with us recognizing people had these rights to do this. So they wanted that little paragraph to be taken out and maybe put in a footnote or something. But they did; they were not comfortable with that being made known. And there was also a point where he said, listen, this section about like hiring 
employees and volunteers and like the process of that he's like listen guys this this goes directly against what the church constitution says and we were like oh well can we possibly see the church constitution you know so we could we could compare and figure out what is and isn't in there and he said oh i don't know where it is and I just sat there and I'm like, how do you not know where your own church constitution is? And why can't we see it? It was just very sketchy and didn't make any sense why the pastor just didn't know where the church constitution was. Or anyone knows where it is for that matter. So, yeah, we're like, we just weren't even allowed to see it. And that was very odd to me. Um, at one point, Pastor said that there were no Bible verses in this policy, and that bothered him. So our response was, well, we can add some Bible verses. And his response was, well, you know, we just got to follow the Bible, not like like word of man, law of man. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't really think it was necessary to add Bible verses because you told us to make this shorter, but we will definitely add Bible verses. Up to this point, it seemed like things were almost going too smoothly. Like, wow, we're all on the same page. Uh, everyone's happy with the direction this policy is going. Like, wow, the wow, meeting adjourned, right? Yeah, they they liked they liked the uh, revisions we made to it. They liked the way we made it shorter. We did everything that they had asked and suggested. And they had some complaints and concerns, but we were listening to them and we were like, you know what, that's fine. We can remove that section if it really bothers you. Through this whole, uh, through this whole process, and we've said it before, with leadership and what they wanted in the policy, we were more than willing to be flexible and add things and take things away as necessary because ultimately, you know, this is pastor's church and if he wants the policy worded a certain way we'll we'll word it that way and then that way everyone can be happy and we're willing to compromise um, on the little things and make everything uh, as smooth and everyone on the same page as possible so at this point i was thinking maybe this will be okay you know maybe maybe we'll be all right and then pastor's face sort of changed from kind of stoic looking to like a more serious grim look on his face and he said okay now that that's done i want to review why estelle and elmer left and he pulled out this very large notebook like it was almost comical like how big it was pulls it out and he sets it down and at this point i thought oh it's over he's gonna preach a sermon and I was right. And that's exactly what happened. He said he was highly disturbed when Elmer brought up that the church had a culture against women and children. And he's like, well, it's just not true. That's not the culture of our church. And he just ranted on and on about how we don't have a church culture like that. And he was very offended by that. The, the word culture really set something off that that was offensive for some reason. And I'm just, I was sitting there thinking, well, why is he telling us what, about what Elmer said? No, none of us in this room have mentioned the word culture. None of us. We had never brought up the word culture. We'd never really even discussed culture. But he was 
telling us why Elmer was wrong. And then he also started describing in detail his conversation that had happened with Estelle. And within a few minutes, I was highly disturbed. With the amount of detail he was going into, uh, just right off the bat with Estelle's conversation with him, uh, it didn't sit right with me. I'm like, this is not going to go right. He said, people not associated with the church questioned him if she was okay from her posts online that were against abuse. And he's, he said, well, you know, she should just be posting Bible verses, not posts against abuse. And her previous post that she had mentioned about feminism, he went on and on about how evil feminism is because it always leads to women being better than men. And then he also talked about swearing. It's not okay for a Christian and it's definitely not okay for the nursery director because, you know, people can see it. And it would damage the image of the church. And he just explained in so much detail all of their conversation. And like I mentioned, she did not share any of these details with me. She was very general in what was shared. And I was highly disturbed because he was essentially sharing her entire therapy session with us. And at one point, I considered interrupting him to ask, did you, did Estelle give you permission to share this with us? Because it was, he went on for probably at least 30 minutes describing in depth this conversation. And it just, it hurt my heart to know that she was being talked about. She wasn't even there. And it was just going on and on and on. And it was about things that we, the people that were there, had not mentioned. It was only about her. And she wasn't even there to defend herself. And he said things like, well, I hate to bring them up since they aren't here. But then he kept talking. And another part, portion he said was, I asked Estelle who her head was. And she avoided answering it. And she finally answered and said, God. And that's wrong because men and women are not equal. And at that point, I think I just stopped and mo I moved to like another dimension of thought. He literally said, men and women are not equal. And he described how Estelle, to Estelle that she will always be under a man, whether she likes it or not. Because women are, are always under men. First with your father, and then with your husband. And I just sat there and I thought, you know, I always thought that men and women under God, spiritually, are equal. We both answer to God. In the body of Christ, there is no male or female. I, I just, I could not believe what I was hearing. And then his next point was that the church has hundreds of attendees and you know these instances you guys have mentioned are rare i mean you've only mentioned like four issues in the last 20 years and i think they were all handled fine you guys are the only ones that are have these problems and he went on to say when you're looking for things you'll find them you will make a mountain out of a molehill and another of his big points was that he's always ran the church simply and trying to implement this care team just might not happen. 
well, I'm going to have to have a discussion with the pastor, with the assistant pastor and the deacons, and we'll have to see what happens. But I am the head of the church. And, you know, he said he makes all the decisions. And I remember this next section very clearly. He said, I do not answer to a committee. I do not answer to you. I do not answer to the deacons. And at this point, the deacons amend. Amen. I only answer to God. And at this point, I just, I'm like, he does not think that he is accountable to anybody except for God who really can't hold him accountable on earth. He he said a lot of things in that in that rant about him being accountable to no one, but one thing that always stuck out to me was he emphasized very strongly that and he said, "I am a godly man." And he just went on about the accountability and at that point, that was the point where all of this started sinking in for me and saying, "Okay, I don't think this is the guy that we've known all these years as he was saying these things i felt very much like he was saying i am god to me it was it was at that point it was starting to feel very cultish and looking back and that's that's exactly what it was also the notes i'm reading off of right now i wrote these an hour after i got home from this meeting so when i wrote them they were very fresh on my mind. It's like seared into my head some of these things that he said, especially about men and women not being equal. Because at this point, I'm like, do I, what kind of a church am I going to? I thought I knew this pastor. I thought he was a caring man. I thought he was a good man. I even thought he was a godly man. I didn't think he was anything like this. So it made me very sad to realize what I had been listening to for the last 20 years, what kind of person I'd been listening to, and what kind of person I had been under, essentially, apparently. I didn't realize I was under him, but apparently, according to him, I was under him. And it was, it was really hard for me to realize that it was like this, and he thought he was accountable to no one, and he didn't think that men and women were equal, and I just... It hurt to have to he- to hear these things. Through the years, you hear what he says, but when it comes to getting to know someone like this, you don't realize that you've been under a uh, totalitarian authority all this time um, because things he preached about grace and uh, treating people, it, w- it came as a surprise to to hear how totalitarianistic his actual viewpoints were when it wasn't coming from the pulpit. Exactly. And at this point, it felt a little mellow in there, I think, because we were all just completely shocked. So it had kind of like a somber feeling in there. And one of the deacon's wives said something to the effect of, "This, this all breaks my heart. And I think at all at this point, we all like kind of perked up a little bit. We're like, oh, wow, she does still care. Wow, someone else is thinking the same thing we are. And then she went on to say, it breaks my heart that this stuff's going on and burst the bubble of my utopia because I thought this place was great and it just burst my bubble. So to expose and bring truth to light is ruining someone else's 
a perfect view of the church and the leadership. And uh, it's almost as if they wish none of this has come to light. There are two big takeaways that I want to make sure to mention for this. The first one, the obvious one, the one I know that was talked about was the lecture from the pastor to our group for something that we would we didn't even do because of a word that was a word that was mentioned by Elmer previously. We got a lecture for something that we didn't even do. And we were taught down to yet again. And we were given this lengthy lecture on top of deeply divulging personal information that was shared between Estelle and pastor in a previous meeting. This was personal information that I now knew anytime you had a meeting with the pastor, you should be fully prepared that any and everyone will learn about this because there is no privacy. It was extremely inappropriate and just downright disrespectful for that to happen. So that was a huge blow to have all of that happened. And in that conversation and communication from the pastor, this man who weeks prior had been crying and sharing with us how he did not realize this was as big of a monster as he had known it to be, came back to say, to downplay these situations and say, over so many years, it's only a few instances that we're, we're discussing here, which of course that's convenient because in the first meeting, he didn't even allow us to talk about anything extra. We had plenty of other experiences to, uh, to share and to support our cause and our concerns, but we weren't allowed to talk about them, which was convenient because it worked for his message on saying there aren't that many issues and concerns. So I don't know why we're going through all of this. But I believe that the thing that hurt the most from the meeting was to have the wife of a deacon, a wife who had shown previous support on expressing that women and children do need to be able to have their voices heard and to need to have support, to have her come out and begin a, and someone who barely contributed in most of these meetings and for the only thing for them to say in this meeting that it was breaking their hearts. We, we thought we had pricked her heart and that she understood that people were hurting because of this. But no, it broke her heart that we were coming forth with these issues and concerns that about problems that other people were creating. It broke her heart that we were trying to fix them that we were doing these things, that we were having these difficult conversations and that we were trying to fix this. It was breaking our heart because it was ruining the utopia that was the church for her. I do not know and understand where a comment like that can come from for anyone who could say that they have compassion for other people. How can you say something like that when you are, by what you say, Pointing a finger who are at people who are trying to help others to give a voice to people who have no voice and saying, you are the problem, 
stop ruining this for me instead of looking at the people who are abusing, touching inappropriately, doing so many inappropriate things that have been proven, that have happened again and again, patterns. These people who are doing these wrong things, you cannot point your finger at them and blame them. No, no, you point your finger at people who want to bring concerns and to see healthy growth in the church for the people and the congregation. And that is who you choose to point your finger at and say, you are breaking my heart. You are ruining this utopia that is our church. That, I think, sums up the whole thing, the whole perspective from leadership in this experience. Talking about it now, still, it still baffles me that that is something that was uttered during the meeting. So that was the third meeting. That was the third family meeting. And as I said, we thought there was progress made in the first meeting. The second meeting took us back to square one, step zero, no progress. And the third meeting took us back. We don't even know how far. We were put under the thumb of authority and made to feel like all of this was pointless and that we were the problem. And so most of our group was crushed and just defeated. After this meeting, I think to say I was upset was would be an extreme understatement. We just spent hours and hours working on this document for what felt like a complete rejection. And I just, I knew we had to leave. Like, how could you stay after all this happened? Like, I just couldn't even fathom the thought of staying after hearing what I had just heard. But I'm like, well, I said, well, I just want to wait for the results. I want to see, will this policy actually go through? Maybe it will. I don't know. It just, it felt like Pastor was so concerned about taking back control that he'd forgotten the entire point of all of our meetings, of this policy that we wanted, of everything, which was safety, security, and accountability. And at this point, it just seemed like he just wanted to ensure his cult leader status is what it felt like. So I, at this point, I felt like the first half of that meeting must have just been to placate us because he had said before that he'd done things to placate us. And my heart was very grieved. My hope was just crushed. And then one of my last thoughts was, well, now I know exactly what happens when you question authority. I kind of thought something like this might happen, but I never knew the depth of what would be uncovered about the character of the leadership of the church. Here's what I had written. I said in my notes that I wrote an hour after this meeting happened. At this point when I'm writing this, that third meeting had just happened. What I'm expecting to happen next is Pastor will decide to completely scrap our plan. But if we're lucky, he'll implement a watered-down version as guidelines, but not an actual policy. That was my thought right after that meeting. I remember standing in the kitchen um, after this, around our, the island in our kitchen, and that's when it really hit me that we need to get out of here. This is not a good atmosphere. It's not a good place to be anymore. And now that we know exactly what we're dealing with, there's really nowhere, there's no f going further from here. 
So time came for the meeting with the security team. After all of this, I still had to go to this meeting and uh, experience what was about to happen. So the security meeting, it was held in pastor's office. I walk in pastor's office and the first thing that I notice is that there's someone here that I did not expect. It was Arnold. As we sat down and began the meeting, pastor said that you may notice there's a new face in this room. Arnold is now a member of the security team. And the thoughts that were running through my head at that time was, okay, one, I'm not surprised, but two, this is the man that literally struck a child out of blind rage and didn't even remember part of it. Now we are entrusting a guy that doesn't even have his uh, CCW, his, his permit to carry a concealed weapon yet, and he's just about to get it. We're trusting a young man to carry and respond to deadly force with deadly force, and we couldn't even trust him with hitting children. So, so Pastor started off the meeting with his, again, his vision for the security team, kind of the, the history of the security team, just like he mentioned in our meeting, our face-to-face or our one-on-one meeting. Um, and he's, he reiterated his concern for people's privacy. He doesn't, he stated that he doesn't look at the security team as a professional security team. Again, he said that everyone on the security team is just a layperson with guns. No one is professional. They're not CIA, FBI, or secret service. They're not an agent. They're not a special agent. Um, and he emphasized that the purpose of the security team is to just handle potential shooters. So so then he said that he wanted the team over the next week to vote on a new director, which I thought was a good move because we could we had a choice in who our new director was and to submit a vote through him. I already knew at this point that I was not sticking around the church. I was leaving. I wasn't going to vote. So I was curious to see how this was going to play out. He then went on to explain his vision for the future of this ministry. And he described himself as the overseer of the ministry. He had responsibility of this ministry. And no one else had responsibility to God regarding this ministry except for him. Him and him alone. Surprisingly, Pastor did mention the policy and the care team that we've been working on on the side. Not everyone knew about that, so I was kind of shocked to hear that he actually publicly made that known to the whole security team. Um, as to the video system, he emphasized and the, he's like, okay, guys, here's how it's going to be. This is what we're going to do. We are absolutely not going to give anyone the ability to view video playback without reasonable suspicion. There will be uh, the review policy again with those those review personnel. Um, you have to submit an incident form. There's no instant replay, no instant playback. The previous director that left will still continue to be an asset with the video system. Um, And he said that there will be just absolutely no one will have any playback or archived footage access whatsoever without him, the assistant pastor, Sunday school director, or the prior director of security. And only real-time video will be accessible. So again, after... The initial meeting where he said, yes, you guys can have instant replay. Yes, we can get that all in working order. He went back on his word, which seems to be a recurring theme in 
in all of these decisions being made is an initial yes, let's do this, I'm on board. And then after a few days or weeks, they go. he goes back on his word and say, no, we're actually not going to do it that way. So I left that meeting knowing that I'm not going to have a future in the security team, knowing that I these changes are being are not being made, I should say, and uh, feeling kind of hopeless for the security team on a team level. But I was, with all of this said and done, it just cemented my thought that I needed to get out of here. Mm-hmm.